Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. morning as we uh, go into God's Word, I, I had a verse that I paid attention to. You know, once in a while you just read through a lot of passages, and like the book of Psalms is a long one to go through, and I've been enjoying them for uh, some time just to spend in reading God's Word. And There's a verse that just kind of stood out to me suddenly that uh, I must have read who knows how many times, but uh, I paid attention when I saw this verse this time. And I thought as I was reading it, though it's it's from Psalm 143, David is writing a psalm about his need for deliverance and for guidance. And when I came across verse number 8, I said, wow, that would be a great sermon prayer. Just the little words of Psalm 143, verse 8. It says, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. I saw those words, and, and yet I was looking at it from a, an older translation. And the way it read in that translation, it says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Cause me to hear. And then it follows, And cause me to know the way in which I should walk. Aren't those the two things that we're desiring to do as we spend time in God's Word? Here in the morning, we meet together, we open up His Word, and we need to hear of His loving kindness, don't we? But we also need to respond to that. And we want Him to show us, how are we to walk? How are we to live? And if that's the goal of our sermon, which I hope it is, that's what I aim for every week, that we know of Him and what He's done for us, and how are we supposed to live in light of that? I thought, what a perfect little verse to set up as a prayer this morning. Cause me to hear of your loving kindness. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. Let's do that as we begin. Heavenly Father, again, we are privileged with this morning you have given to us to spend in your word. Lord, we have a long ways to go to know you, to know you like our hearts desire to know you. We, we trust in you, as David had said so many years before. We trust in you, Lord, but we ask you to cause us to hear of your loving kindness today. Lord, we also lift up our souls before you, and we depend upon you to cause us to know 
the way in which we should walk. Guide us through our time this morning in your word. It is your word. And we are your children. And we are so blessed to know you. Teach us, Lord, more of you today. And make us different. Change the course of our our walk. If it's not anywhere near what you would have us to be, show us that today, Lord. If it If it is along the right path, encourage our hearts, we pray. But cause us to know. Cause us to know, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's travel over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 11. One more time. Verse number 11. The verse reads right in the middle of a whole phrase. Matter of fact, right in a portion of a whole sentence that started in the Greek text from verse 3 and goes all the way through verse number 14. That's one sentence, and we've taken uh, 13 weeks to figure out that much of the sentence, and we're still not done with it, so we're still going on here. And in verse 11, we're right in the middle of the thought, where it says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things at the counsel of his will. Now, that sounds like a pretty technical little phrase. It's it's not so much, especially the way I'd like to emphasize it here this morning. I have uh, attempted to express the overflowing grace which God has lavished on us. It's a topic we can't exhaust. But the words are beautiful, and I, I enjoy going to see them and read them. Uh, and part of that grace that he has bestowed upon us in such an, an abundant measure is the fact that we have an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. That's part of all that he's done. And what I find absolutely wonderful is that in all the plans that we saw last week regarding his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we are included in those plans. And that's amazing to me that he should look upon us and, and consider it so. We might throw out words incredible, which means it's not credible. And that's not exactly true, is it? It is credible. It's true. It's just to our minds we say, that's amazing. That's amazing how inconceivable it is that we sinners, saved by grace, thankfully, but we sinners should not only be saved by His grace, but destined to share His glory. To be there with Him forever. Because He wants us to be. Wow! That's, we shall, we read in Scripture, we shall sit and reign with Christ. Have you ever seen those words? We shall reign with Christ. What, what is that? Uh, uh, he will sit as he does, and reign with his Father. And in Ephesians chapter 2, if you're still wondering, it says in verse 6, that we are not only raised up with him, but we're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing to Timothy later in 2 Timothy 2.12, and he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then the book of Revelation, kind of the cap of it all, it's speaking of those who who will be there in the presence of the Lord forever. And it says in chapter 22, verse 5, and they will reign forever and ever. 
it's him. Now sometimes I, I think, you know, that zone's going to be very crowded. But we're going to be there with him forever. This is what he's sharing with us. Do you see his love? His love for us? That, that's astounding to me. That's astounding to me. How marvelous it is that God would have a plan for you and me. That God would include us in all that measure of his grace. That he would include us in his great plan of all of eternity. Can you really doubt his love for you? When you see it as he has planned it. Now, today we're going to look at that inheritance again. I'd like to just talk again about what we've been talking about. But we're going to to look at it another fashion today in verse number 11. And actually examine it according to the information we're given at the rest of the verse. Verse number 11. When it says, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We cannot possibly exhaust this topic, but let's talk about this, this purpose, this plan, this work, this counsel, this will, that all revolves around this inheritance. There, there are doctrines being taught today in churches throughout our land and in other countries as well uh, that speaks of God's desire his intentions for you to be rich right down here right now they're, they're a prosperity type of gospel that is taught that uh, we have great wealth and we have great health uh, through faith in him and uh, if you're not right with God, then you're living in sin, and that's why you're not wealthy, and that's why you're not healthy. I think it's uh, biblically wrong. Biblically wrong. Theologically, it's wrong. There's, there's just, I'm not going to waste my whole morning walking through the proof text to show you that. But I want to ask you a simple question. <laughs> Would you rather have the treasures of this world or the inheritance God has in store for you in heaven? simple question. Some people say, well, do I have to pick between them? Can't I have a little leech? You know, but uh, Scripture says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be, right? It certainly is true. Uh, we set our, our, our minds on the things of the earth, and yet the Scripture tells us, reminds us, that the things of this world is passing away. We set our, our things, our mind on the earth, and we become somewhat like Solomon, who had to have written this with a taste of bitterness in his own mouth. Solomon, who even to this day would probably be the richest man this world has ever seen. And he concluded what vanity it is to gain all that wealth, only to have it to go to somebody else when you die. Book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to be depressed for 20 or 30 minutes, read the book. It's like, but that's a, that's a view. When the world is your view, when it's your gain, when it's your treasure, you come away empty, absolutely empty as an end result of that. And you can choose that. People do all the time. They think that this world is all about winning, and uh, you know, the gain that this world has to offer. Or you can 
take what Peter has to say. First Peter 1, 3-5, I've brought this up the last couple of weeks, but I'll do it again. Where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter clearly is speaking of an inheritance, and his words, when you put it together with Paul's words here, are perfectly compatible. There is an inheritance in heaven waiting for you. It will not diminish in any way. It is not taxable by the IRS. Now, you didn't see that there, did you? But it it will not diminish, it will not uh, be defiled, it will not perish, it's not tied up in probate court, it can't be spent, it cannot be altered by inflation, it can't be changed by recession, it won't be lost, it's reserved in heaven for you. That's what it says. That's a great theological fact to anchor to. But when it comes to this fact, here's what Peter had to add to that, you will be there too. You are protected by the power of God. It's reserved for you in heaven. That's Peter's contribution to our understanding here. And it's very appropriate that we put Peter's words next to this text. Because Peter is writing to a congregation in his day. I know we're in Ephesians, but in Peter's letter, he's writing to a congregation of people who have lost everything for the name of Christ. They've been scattered throughout the world. They've lost their jobs, their homes, their family in some parts, even down to the point that some had lost their lives. We'd say, well, they've lost everything. And all that the world may offer can be gone. But you still have all that Christ has given to you that cannot be taken away. It's reserved in heaven. It's kept. It's safe there. Do you trust him to hold it for you? Several years ago, I, I remember this so vividly, I was, I was sitting on the bleachers watching a bunch of little children, they were in a, a youth basketball camp thing, and they were very young, very young children, and uh, one of them, uh, there were girls and boys in this mix, and, and they, they had uh, suckers in their mouth, which you don't play basketball with a sucker in your mouth, so they were told to go and set them, you know, on a piece of paper down, you know, so they could get them later. This one little girl came running around and right where I was sitting, and she put the sucker down, and then she looked at me. Then she picked up her sucker and moved it someplace. I don't know what that meant. But <laughs> she must not have trusted me. I think that's all it came down to. If we reserve something in heaven, and our Heavenly Father is holding it, you trust Him? There's just a, a picture in all this. It's a place where moth and rust cannot corrupt. Thieves can't break in and steal. One man has written this. So what if God takes away more of the world from you than others? If he gives more of himself than others? Now, I don't know what that man has experienced in life or, or what prompted those words. But he certainly didn't ride around with a car with a bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. You ever see that one? I've seen it on occasion. 
Peter's words are a refreshment to us, a refreshment to our hurting congregation, but refreshing to us as well, because we're studying this, this passage in Ephesians on our inheritance. Our inheritance. And I take you back to Ephesians and emphasize these words. Number one, we have obtained an inheritance. That means it's a completed action. It's important that we, we say this. Grammatically, it means it's done. It's already finished. Peter says it's already reserved in heaven. It's already designated. It's already been given. That's our focus today. Uh, all the words that we're going to follow with support and strengthen the fact that we have already obtained the inheritance. Now, what's the implication of that? It's a very important thing. It says we have obtained an inheritance. It does not say we are obtaining an inheritance. If it was a present tense verb, I would say, well, that's what it means, obtaining. But it's not. It's a completed verb in that. We're not obtaining as if uh, we're working through some process to get it. We cannot underscore this, and I'm going to explain it after I say it. We cannot, by our actions, make the inheritance greater. By our good works, we can't do that. We can't make it lesser by our sins. Now you may be thinking, yes, but what about that reward service that speaks of it? That's rewards. That's rewards for service. We're talking about inheritance because of relationship. Two different things. Alright? You've got to think differently here. He, he's not talking about a reward service, because rewards are based on service. Inheritance is based on your relationship. You're his child, aren't you? The inheritance doesn't change, because your relationship with God is already confirmed. Jesus Christ died for you. You're a child of God. Do you become more of a child tomorrow? Less of a child? No. You see, the inheritance is based on relationship. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. It's, it's, it's true. It's just given to you. It's not made by you. Under, understand that distinction? I wanted to make it very clear. Because when we read it, it says, you have obtained. You're not obtaining. You're not enhancing that. You're not going to gain a greater inheritance than anybody else. You don't need to fret whether or not you're enhancing it well or not. Uh, we are not obtaining it. We have obtained it. That's a fact. It's a fact. And what supports all these, these, these phrases behind it are, are wonderful. First of all, when he says we have obtained an inheritance, it says that next phrase, having been predestined, having been predestined. Let's just stop with those three words. Having been predestined. Now, I've checked most translations, because I always do this, because I know a New American Standard may have a different word than somebody else's translation, so I try to scan and, and guess how many different ones are represented here, and, and whether or not um, there's other words that might be seen right now on this page. Most translations use the same word, predestined. I, I thought I'd check that for sure. I'm sure even the balcony people have that word too. All right, it, that's just 
predestined. There it is. What is that word? Well, predestined. I know it makes some people a little uncomfortable in this, but this is the second time Paul's brought it up in Ephesians chapter 1. He said it earlier in verse number 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons. So it's not a foreign word for us, and Paul wasn't afraid to use it. Matter of fact, since he was led by the Holy Spirit to write this, it is the right word. Alright? This wasn't something that the Holy Spirit said, Ooh, I don't have to use it. He, he put this word down. It's correct, regardless of our comfort level. It is correct. And the word actually comes from two, two words put together, comba, pro, which is before, and horizo, which is our word for horizon. It's kind of an interesting Greek combination. But the horizon was kind of like the fence, the boundaries that you put around, you say, this is yours as far as you can see, kind of a, a picture. All right? The horizon. And, it, and to put this word down means somebody went out and mapped it out. All right? They planned it out. They set the boundaries. They set the limits on it. And that's the nature of this word, which means they did it beforehand. They marked it for you, so you understand. This is yours. It's been determined. It's been ordained, but it's been done before. It's been done before. And our inheritance has been done before. It's predetermined. It's predeclared. The fact is that uh, we weren't consulted, were we? Does that bother you? He didn't ask your opinion? What do you think of this? Uh, you know, I'm not sure we would have given a very good one. But it was kind of hard to do, because he predestined this before the world was created, and you weren't there, were you? So he couldn't have asked us anyway. We weren't available. But seriously, when you think it through, how wonderful it is that God should have thought of us in all his plans, and all that he, how wonderful that he would think of us. Now, I believe, I believe he thought of us personally. Not just some abstract concept like, well, there'll be people here someday. I, I think he thought of us personally. I think he knew us before we were here, individually. I believe that, and I'll tell you why. Because David wrote to the same extent in Psalm 139. The words he said there in verse 13 you formed me in my you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And your, in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Isn't that powerful? How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Now, that, that's enough to start making circuits a little bit shaky, maybe blowing a few, to think that God was thinking of me, personally. Well, that's all wrapped up in this word that he predestined these things. If he predestined them and it involves you, guess what? He was thinking of you. Isn't that incredible? He was thinking of you. I believe that's the way God gives his inheritance. 
it had to be predestined by him. In his wisdom, in his kindness, he has done this, and it's perfectly compatible with the fact that he can do it far in advance. And in another grammatical way here, this phrase, having been predestined, he's not really talking so much about your inheritance as he is talking about you. Grammatically, he's talking about you. Having been predestined, that's third person plural. He's, he's, he's not talking about it. That would be singular. He's talking about you. It has to be us in context. It's the only thing that fits. We are predestined to obtain this. This, this, this having been predestined, that's we. That's you and me in this sentence. Once again, God's focus in his actions towards you and toward me. That's his thoughts. That's his, the way he centered his attention on you and on me, having predestined this. The Amplified Version says it so well. He says, or the writer says, We obtained an inheritance, for we have been foreordained, chosen, and appointed beforehand. We. See, it's not so much that the focus is on the thing. It's on the person who's going to receive it. He was thinking of you. He was thinking of you. I use what I like to call biblical math. It's real simple. It works on about a second grade level, in case you're wondering how technical is it. I just put two things together and get a result. And this is what I see. If I have been predestined by God, and he has given me an inheritance, then the inheritance was also predestined by him. All of it works in the same thought of what God is doing. God has already done this. What can we possibly do to undo it? We can't. This is his kind of grace. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. We're going to qualify it a second way now. His purpose is part of this. His purpose. Again, a compound word for purpose. Pro is the word beforehand. It's part of it. And thesis. T-H-E-S-I-S. We say thesis. Thesis. Prothesis. It comes from the verb to place something. God has placed this beforehand. God has placed this beforehand. If you're going to place something, you're putting it out so people can see it. It's almost like setting up a display table or such. God has already set this up. It's his purpose. He's already established it. The word that's used in, in the, or the picture used in the scriptures is that role that the high, or the priest had every single week. They'd go into the temple, or at the time, even the tabernacle, and there was a table there called the table of showbread. You remember that title, showbread? We always say, what's showbread? What exactly is that? Well, that was the word, show, the bread. They'd set it up, they'd display it for a week. They'd set that bread up, 12 loaves, one for each tribe of Israel. But they'd walk into that place and they'd set up this bread. Right? Arrange it on this table. It was part of the, the worship service and the sacrifice and all that. But they'd set this up. They didn't dump it on the table. They didn't just run by and drop a basket of bread and go on their way. They arranged it on the table. 
They set it up in a certain pattern every time. They deliberately followed the same technique. It was not careless. It was not careless. And that's a good thing. You wouldn't want them to be careless because if you were a priest and the guy who set it up last week was very careless, he was messing with your lunch. Because you were to eat that when you took it back off and replaced it with the next loaf. Now, wouldn't you like them to take good care of it then? This was, this was the, the, the way they went about it. They always kept it carefully. They weren't careless. They didn't want damage. They were placing it there for, for a specific pattern. And, and that was a picture. It was a good picture. God used it to explain how he purposes things. How he arranges things. It's very deliberate on his part. He arranges it in a, in a precise manner, but he's always looking ahead as to who's going to benefit from it. That purpose is included in the whole idea of deliberate work of God. We, we bring this down to this thing. In the arrangement of his plan, God was intentional. He was deliberate towards you in this giving of an inheritance. It's not some theological accident that you became saved. Alright? And it's certainly not careless that he has an inheritance set apart for you. It's been done deliberately. <laughs> you could ask him all you want to, if he's sure that this inheritance is for you. But this word says the fact that he has arranged it carefully, deliberately, on purpose. That's his word. You see it? Pretty powerful, huh? We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. Now the rest of this adds another strong element, because his deliberate purpose is active in his working of all things. It says, according to his purpose, who works all things. God at work. Consider his energy for a few minutes, what he's capable of doing. Consider the fact that he is quite efficient and effective, and also that his working is continuous. Continuous. What, what is more powerful than the power of God? That's a silly question, isn't it? Nothing. Nothing is more powerful than the work or the power of God. And yet he has invested that very power in your inheritance and you to receive it. Who's going to thwart him in that process? He's at work in all things, hasn't he? Isn't he? Has he fallen asleep on the job sometime? Maybe forgotten about you? Do we were obviously aware that he's constantly keeping this world in motion. It's good to know. He's constantly maintaining our living arrangements on this earth. We still have oxygen. We still have all the things we need to live. He's constantly at work in nature, in salvation, in sustaining, in directing. How many processes does God operate at one time? Amazing, if we start to, to think through all the things that God can do simultaneously, and yet we still read, He's also working 
in regard to your inheritance. It's just as active as everything else he's doing. That's why we call it, such like Peter says, undefiled and unperishable. That means it's fresh and it's reserved. It's the way God keeps his hand in everything as he keeps it for his children. Do you like that? Isn't that great to hear? He didn't put it on a box and put it on the shelf and put your name on it. And say, well, when they get here, we'll just pull out that box, dust it off a little bit and give it to them. It's not like that at all. He's constantly at work. That must mean it's important to him. Wouldn't you say? It's important to him if he's so active in it. But this is what it says. It's according to his purpose with or who works all things. Who works all things. Now, add another element that strengthens it even more. He works all things after the counsel of his will. I love this little phrase. I, I, when I translated it, I almost laughed. Because the word bole, counsel, we have the word counsel here. Bole is the word will. And then the next phrase is thelima, which is the word will. And when I translated it, it said, after the will of his will. And I said, well, that's kind of a funny little phrase. The will of his will. What's the will of his will? There's two words involved here, but they're kind of neat the way they work together. The counsel of his will. It almost doubles it, if you will, in the concept. The will of his will. The, the essence of the concept. It's deliberate. And that's what the word comes out again to be. It's a deliberate wisdom in his will. A deliberate wisdom. In other words, this inheritance he has for you, which he's reserved for you and you've obtained, he did that on purpose. Right? He did that on purpose. We've seen that. But this is what's kind of neat about it. And I don't even know how it works. Perhaps sometime, in eternity past, we could only dream of these things or imagine them because we don't know. But let's say that the Trinity got together for a board meeting. All right? And they, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, were deliberating their plans. They were working through, and this discussion was being made about their plans. And all the combined wisdom of the Godhead, if combining that could make it any stronger, I don't know, because they're all God, right? But all their combined wisdom and their determination and their intentional setting in motion of all their purposes is directed toward who? Do you see something here? It's like, really? You mean they were thinking about us? As they were planning all this? They, they intentionally included us in an inheritance? As they were planning this thing? It's after the counsel of His will. The counsel of His will. I don't know any bigger way to say that he meant it. There's no better way to say it. We have obtained an inheritance. Now, what I have shown you here this morning, all based on a simple key word I'm going to set before you one more time. Deliberate. It was his deliberate purpose, by his deliberate working, according to his deliberate wisdom, in his deliberate will, that you have this. Pretty powerful, isn't it? That's the inheritance he has set out for us. 
<laughs> Are you convinced that he loves you? I mean, if you're not convinced that Jesus Christ died for you is a evidence that he loves you, to think that he would shower us with his grace, that he would shower us with his wisdom, that he would show us his plans, that he would say, this is for you, this is what I've set aside for you. I've predestined it. I've purposed it. I'm working it. It's according to my will. I've done all this. Are you sure he's paying attention to you today? That he knows you? What do we do with that? We read in the Psalms as we began here, we wanted to hear of the loving kindness of our Lord. Have you? That's the loving kindness of our Lord. And the second thing the psalmist asked for is, I want to know the way in which I should walk. There's our response. When you hear of these things, I, I hope that it prompts you to say, now Lord, what can I do to serve you? I don't need to worry about my inheritance. I don't need to spend all my energy trying to figure out my inheritance. I don't need somehow to enhance that inheritance. That's not my job. My job is to serve you. You see how freeing it is that all this is established for you? So that what's left? We can go out and serve him with perfect confidence, can't we? Serve him because he's taking care of all of the things that he has given to us. We can serve him. Now, as we bring these thoughts to a place, I'm going to address two groups. And I really don't know if uh, I'm addressing anyone here in this room today, but if I should be. We've been talking about what God has done for his children. This whole passage speaks of God's investment in you as a child of God, as somebody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they belong to the family of God. And it's quite possible there might be somebody here this morning who's never come to know Christ by faith. They are, are not included in the picture that I am sharing all the way through this passage. They're not included in any of aspect. The best that you're doing is looking from the outside in, and you see what God has for his children and perhaps it's become aware to you that you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know what the good news is? You can. You can. I'm not calling you this morning to be saved so that you can just gain all this stuff we're talking about. I'm calling you to be saved because you need the grace of God in your life because we're sinners. And as sinners, we're going to perish. But he who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son does not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And the fact is that because we are sinners, we need to see that. We need to see that the wages of sin is death, and Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay for that penalty. To forgive us of those sins. And he's called you to trust him. He's called you to trust Him. We've been talking about Him on this side as believers saying, we can trust Him, look at what He's done. But your first step today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, is to, to call upon Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And I appeal to you this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where you need to be. You need to come before Him and, and plead for His salvation. He promises to give it. He's that kind of a God. He always does. So I appeal to you. Call upon the name of the Lord. By His grace, He'll save you. I bring that up because I, I don't want anyone to miss out on all this. This is what He's given to us. So I want you to be a part of that. And I certainly don't want uh, to spend eternity away from you when I stand in the presence of the Lord. What a glorious thing it's going to be, folks. What a glorious thing. We're just getting glimpses of it here. But someday we'll stand before His throne and there we'll be with the other believers in Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. How exciting that will be. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Based on your knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have faith in Him, have you trusted Him for your salvation? Now that's one group I really wanted to, to mention here this morning, but for those others, you and me, who know Christ as Savior, do you doubt that He loves you? Oh, I know, we have bad days, don't we? We think that He's out there just, He's going to... He's going to make you feel it today, right? You ever wake up that day? You say, oh. There are days when we, we, we go through this uh, uh, doubt. It's not uncommon. Our minds get off the things of, of the Lord. We, we struggle again and again and again. And yet here it is morning, and we've seen again the loving kindness of our Lord, haven't we? Did he change from yesterday? Is he going to change tomorrow? Each morning, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, what a great way to start a day. Again and again and again. I want to encourage you to walk in confidence in the love of Christ. Alright? Walk in confidence in the love of Christ. It is not based on you, it's based on him. Nothing I've shared with you out of Ephesians 1 is based on you, is it? all what he has done. His investment is you is out of grace and out of love that he has for you. And I want you to walk in confidence. Walk forward in that. Serve him with your life because he's taking care of everything. We can serve him. That, that's a precious thing to me. I need passages like this just to kind of boost me up again and say this is where you stand in God's eyes. How encouraging. How encouraging. And we still haven't gotten to the best part yet. Is coming in the next couple of verses. Wow. How exciting. Alright, we're going to have a word of prayer. Let this soak in a little bit, because that's a lot. And then as soon as I'm through, I'm going to have uh, Anthony and Stephanie Blackburn come up here. And uh, we're going to introduce you to the new members of our church. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Oh, we are so undeserving, we know. But you are so great, so, so wonderful toward us, that you should love us in this fashion. That you, by your grace and by your wisdom, have deliberately given to us an inheritance. Lord, we're overwhelmed. We truly are overwhelmed that you should do all this for us. And yet... It shouldn't surprise us. If you would give your own son for us, how will you not freely give us all things? Thank you, Lord. That's where we are.
We say thank you. Thank you for what you've done. May our thank yous be more than just words. May they be in actions. May they be in the way we love, the way we serve, the way we live. We are learning of you, Lord, so that we can live for you. So challenge our hearts today. Whatever this week has yet to come, whatever direction you're going to lead us in, whatever you call us to do, may we do it with thankful hearts today, and then, and whenever. Always with a thankful heart for what you've done for us. We give you the glory, the praise, and the honor today in Jesus' name. Amen.